You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you guys all so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Missio Day. I love the title of this series. I love the content of the series, and I'm really thankful to be uh, at least some sort of part of it. Um, man, we're going to be in the Gospel of John today, and I think this is a great place to be to kind of wrap up this series. A series you guys have been asking the question, what does it look like to be on mission with Jesus and for Jesus? And the Gospel of John is the, is the disciple John who is with Jesus and then on mission for Jesus. So it's a great place to look at it and see what is John talking about. Uh, now, the question before us today to end this series is, how do we help others grow and follow Jesus? That's the main question. We call that, <clears throat> excuse me, discipleship. We call it discipleship because in the New Testament, the term for someone following Jesus is the term disciple. It's used 260 plus times. The term Christian is used three times. In the book of Acts, so that it's not just a Jesus thing, right? In the book of Acts, when the church is growing, Acts 6-7 says that it's the disciples that multiply. In Acts 9, when this guy, Saul, is on the scene persecuting and imprisoning and murdering people who trust in Jesus, it says that he is going after the disciples of the Lord. Then, later, this guy Saul becomes Paul. Jesus radically intersects his life. And Paul sets out on a mission trip to go around not persecuting, but making disciples. Then, he gets this crazy idea to go back around the same places and strengthen, quote, the disciples. Disciple, 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 disciple. That's what we are if we follow Jesus. There's a student and teacher relationship. A real quick definition that we're going to kind of work with today for what a disciple is, it's someone who follows Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and who's committed to the mission of Jesus, the missio Dei. So the question really before us today is, how do we make disciples? And to do that, we're going to be in John 15. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version. Uh, please open your Bibles with me. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles back there. Um, and if you're in a different version, okay, when I say the word abide, your version might say remain, or it might say stay connected. It's fine. It's all the same word, all right? Abiding is staying connected or remaining in, okay? So <clears throat> the eternal truth of this passage, John 15, is profoundly simple and impactful. The eternal truth is this, life, fullness of life is with Jesus Christ alone. That's it. This passage is teaching us that life is with Jesus alone. It's not found anywhere else. You might be looking for it somewhere else, but you won't find it. It's with Jesus alone. John has been stating this case. It's a very stark equation, but it's a very um, well-built equation. John has been stating this case throughout his gospel. John 1 he says, and in him, Jesus, and in him was life, and the life was the light of man. John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. 
I have come that they may have life and life to the fullest. John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Right before he raises Lazarus from the dead. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then in 1 John, a letter that the Gospel of John is kind of maybe sometimes accompanied with, the letter of 1 John, John ends it in 1 John 5 saying, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. I write this to you so that you may know you have life in his name. Life is with Jesus. That's it. So what does this life look like? That's what we're going to explore here in John 15. Life is with him. What does it look like? First thing is abiding. It looks like staying connected to Jesus as your first and foremost priority. That's John 15, 1 through 11. Then John 15, 12 through 17, this life is to be invested. That's the natural outworking of life with Jesus. It is to be invested. So we're going to look at what does it mean to abide, and then what does it mean to invest. Okay? So open with me. John 15. Put that there. Okay, here we go. John 15, you'll notice as soon as you look at the page on your screen, on paper... I'm a paper guy. Uh, but as soon as you look at it, you're going to notice I, me, and my. It's Jesus speaking. And he says, abide in me. I am the vine. I am the true vine. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. Abide in me. My words should abide in you. My Father will be glorified by this. I love you. My commands, my love, abide in me. He's singular. His focus is on himself. He's singular. He's possessive. My commandments, my love, my Father, right? And he's central. He is pointing them to where life is. Now, if you are new to church or to Christianity in general, you might be sitting here thinking, I don't know a lot about Jesus. This is a pretty good and brief synopsis of what it means to be a Christian. Life is with him alone. Now, there's also a very rich and detailed history behind where they are, behind the setting here. Okay, so in John 13 and 14, Jesus is in the upper room having his last supper with his disciples. At the end of John 14, Jesus says, get up, let's get out of here, okay? Then in John 17 and 18, we know he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's up on the Mount of Olives, okay? It's where he's captured, it's where he prays his prayer, he's captured and betrayed and everything. In between is his travel from Jerusalem and the city in the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this is not just some weird Bible trivia to help you guys win next week at whatever you know, trivia spot you go to. All right, there's actual meaning behind it, okay? So to get to the Garden of Gethsemane, they leave out of Jerusalem, they head east, they go down a little valley to, the, it's called the Kidron Valley, there's a stream at the bottom, and then they'll ascend up the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, probably the peak is about 300 feet above Jerusalem, so it kind of overlooks Jerusalem. It's called the Mount of Olives because it's filled with olive groves. It's a very lively place. Right? There's a lot of life going on there, a lot of agriculture going on there. It's called the Mount of Olives for a reason. So, 
in this town, in this period, this space, Jesus decides to teach them about staying connected to him like a vine to a branch because they're surrounded by vines and branches. They're surrounded by olive branches and olive vines, right? He's, look, he's saying, look around you. Stay connected to me like these things stay connected to the vine. There's also a rich history here. So the Kidron Valley was a place where David, King David, Book of the Psalms, David and Goliath, Jerusalem, city of David, where David had to flee when his son Absalom usurped him and took over. The text even says in 2 Samuel that David flees while weeping through the, through the valley and up the Mount of Olives. Why did he have to flee? Was Absalom just a bad apple? The answer actually is that it was David not abiding with God, but saying, that girl Bathsheba, I want to get to know her a little bit better. That sin had a consequence. God even says, the sword will not pass from your house because of this. That friction, the separation from me, the strife, the pain that sin brings is now in your house, David. You were at peace. You had conquered the Philistines. You had conquered land. You had conquered your enemies, but you hadn't conquered your sin. And you didn't abide. There's a consequence. So when David's weeping through the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives, get out of there, it's because he didn't abide. His son, Solomon, King Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, builds a temple, builds a great big palace. He builds idols to other gods on the top of Mount Olives. Does that sound like abiding? Does that, that sound like staying connected to the life? No. Later on, King Asa and King Josiah will come into power, and whenever they do, they see that there's a bunch of idols, idol worship, Asherah poles and other things, Baals, stuff, uh, all around Judah. They gather them up, they take them to the Kidron Valley, and they smash them, and they burn them. They say, get this out of here. This will not help us abide to where life is. It's in this setting that Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're seeing life on the lush hill. Stay connected to me like that. You know what happens when you don't stay connected to me. David's a good example. Solomon's a good example. The, the, the nation of Israel is a good example, which is why Asa and Josiah gathered up those idols and smashed them and burned them. So when we read here in 15.6, when Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, the negative, right, gives them the negative perspective. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned, just like Asa and Josiah burned up those idols. If you don't stay connected to him, then when judgment comes, the same fate that meets your idols will meet you. Does this make sense so far? Stay connected to him. Jesus is teaching when you abide, you're fruitful. Who doesn't want to be fruitful? All of you guys probably wanted a really fruitful weekend, right? And you guys wanted to just come out of it and say, yeah, we had a really good weekend. You want a productive, fruitful weekend. God's saying when you abide, you will be fruitful. We here in this room do not want to put the cart before the horse. We don't want to say, all right, go out there and be fruitful and then abide. You can't uh, be fruitful if you don't abide. 
If you're abiding, you'll be fruitful. If you're fruitful, you're abiding. Fruit is proof that the internal systems are working. People see it. God does not intend for us to be fruitless. He intends for us to be fruitful. A healthy vine has healthy branches. It doesn't work in reverse. The first and foremost question you should be asking yourself is, am I abiding? Am I abiding? In him was life, and the life was the light of man, John 1, 4. The ground that these disciples are on is charred with burnt idols and stained with the tears of David, of men who didn't abide. We need to abide. We can't do anything if we don't. An idol is anything that takes the place of God as the focus and priority of your life. God is at the head of the table of your life, or he's not at the table at all. So, real quick, I have a quick exercise for you. Think of the things that take you out of abiding in Christ. Just finish the sentence. I'll abide or remain or stay connected to Christ. I'll get in that word and that community, that connection, after I blank. What is it? What is it in our lives that kind of take us from it, that keep us from it? We need to name them. We need to be very serious about this exercise. Name these things so that you can call it out yourself. You can bring some accountability around it. Okay? And then you can smash it. Right? Now, you might say, oh, it's good things, right? Serving on the worship team or serving some food somewhere. You know, that's keeping me from my time in the Word or my time in prayer or whatever. But if you're putting those things before your time with God or your abiding with Christ, then they're not good things. They're taking things away from Christ. You might have some room to give yourself some more effort in this area. You might say, okay, I can try a little harder to, you know, turn away Netflix or music or whatever it is. You actually might even have an accountability group or community group that you could say, I can trust them with it or I can talk to them about it. I can bring them in, in, in and around this. Right, so you might have some own personal room to grow here. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit guiding you and convicting you from the inside, then you have no hope of smashing these idols. Surrounding John 15 is Jesus' education and preaching on the Holy Spirit. John 14, John 15, John 16. He's talking about the Holy Spirit throughout. He tells his disciples, I'm out of here in John 14. Then he says, stay connected to me. And then he says, I'm out of here. And if you're a disciple, you've got to be like, how am I supposed to stay connected to you if you're leaving? What is this? And he tells you, ah, I'm sending you another helper, another advocate, another teacher. The Holy Spirit will teach you truth. He will convict you of righteousness and sin and judgment. He will grow you. He'll be personal. He'll teach. He'll illuminate my scripture. He'll exalt the finishing work of Christ. So you can't guard against these things yourself. You need the Spirit. Your sanctification, your growth and abiding is synergistic. It's God working in you as well as you 
laying more and more of your life down to him. It's you and God, God in you, the Holy Spirit, that's working out these things. Let me give you a little picture here. Um, I've been reading a bit about the church in Japan because I have a foolish friend who wants to go to Japan in a few years, and I'm trying to convince him to not. I'm just kidding. I'm really excited for it. But maybe he should stay. Um, and when persecution came to those people in the 1600s, they waited for a riverbed to be dry in the winter. They had about 50 or so Christians, men, women, and children, in that riverbed. They tied wood around them, and they set them on fire. There's about 30,000 people watching this. And of the people up there watching, they started to sing Psalm 113, or recite it. How'd this happen? Did they hand out flyers before? Did they have a little pre-huddle? And they're like, all right, guys, maybe we should sing this song. They had been abiding in the word. They had been abiding in Christ with their lives before this. This is not like a last-second Hail Mary. They said, well, we've got to get something together. They've been abiding in the word. And then in the moment, the Spirit enlivened the scripture and brought it to their forefront and it was the general expression of their faith and love and trust in God that's how it works that's how the Holy Spirit can enliven us and that our our abiding is not just us trying harder our abiding is us submitting more to God say God will you grow me will you help me I'm in a, a seminary course, and the professor relayed this story. Uh, a student came to him one day and said, Prof, I'm, I'm just having a hard time. I'm not seeing the will of God. I'm not really growing in my faith. I'm having a hard time with some of these things. And the prof said, well, how's your quiet time? Quiet time in the Word. And the student was like, what's that got to do with anything? Like, I, these are big questions here. What am I, quiet time? And the professor just said, Remember Romans 12. You have a transformed mind and heart and body. It's through the word. You're not conformed to the world. You're transformed. Our quiet times, our time in the word are vital. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Abide in him. Jesus says right here in verse 7, says it in a different way, but in verse 7, he kind of says it again. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My words abide in you. So here's the quick application for this. How is your time in the Word? Are you chewing on it daily? Are you hungering or thirsting for it? If you don't read it, or you go for a little stretch without it, do you notice something different in your life? I'm in the Word a lot. Uh, sermons, Bible studies, discipleship, etc. Okay, but if I just see the time in my, if I just see my time in the Word as a time to get things done, and I don't have time for myself to just abide and be in the Word and be challenged and be stretched, then I've missed it. Even though I'm in the Word all the time, right? I've missed abiding. I've missed those things. So I need to be in a Word and in, in something that's not. Sermon prep or Bible study prep, where it just can be me and God. Say, God, teach me. Humble me. Show me. 
Are you abiding? Are you stuck to him like adhesive? That's what part of being a disciple is. I spent a lot of time talking, answering this question here. What does it mean to, how do we make disciples? I spent a lot of time talking about abiding. Because if you're not poured into, you can't be poured out. You can't be a disciple of other people if God's not pouring into you. If you're not stuck to him and remaining in him, you need to stay with him. I'm going to read uh, verse 9 through 11 here, John 15. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Fullness of life. Fullness of joy. Abide. Stay connected. You can do nothing without him. So if this life is with Jesus of Nazareth alone, and it looks like abiding, then the outworking of it is going to be investing. Investing. In John 15, 5, where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But then, in 19 and 10, he says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He has something for you to do. His commandments, he has something for you to do. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And guess what? I have something I want you to do, so abide in me. So then the question is, what does he want us to do? Verse 11. Sorry, verse 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. That is what I want you to do. Apart from me, you can do nothing, and I want you down here to invest in other people. This word love here is agape, but the root is agape, which maybe you've heard before, but if you haven't, it's a Greek word for love and sacrificial. Sometimes it's pictured as a nursing mother to her newborn, Okay? It's that sacrificial love. We're investing in the newborn, that love that invests at all costs. So the question is still, how do we make disciples? But now we have abiding and investing, or building into people the way a vine does to a branch. If a branch is deficient in area, the vine's going to deposit life into it. It wants to grow. Is there a physical need among people that you know? Do you meet it? Among some of your family, some of your relations, your neighbors, a friend just had a baby, a friend's going through a hard time, a friend lost a job, do you meet some physical needs? Do you meet some emotional needs? Someone just needs to talk. Someone just needs to laugh. Someone just needs to go for a run, throw a ball. You meet some emotional needs. Now, for us here, do you meet spiritual needs? Do you know people's spiritual needs? Sometimes you know their physical needs. It's very apparent. Sometimes you know their emotional needs. It just comes out at you. You're like, ah. Oh. Do you know their spiritual needs? We can invest in all three. And by investing in all three, not just one, but in all three, we can help grow people. Disciple people. In India, there's a people group within the caste system called the Dilutes, uh, the untouchables. They are 
the lowest of the low. Don't come near. And there's been a growth of Christianity among them because you have missionaries showing up, not just giving them a track in their language, which is very helpful, but they show up investing their lives at all costs to give them human relationships, to make, make sure that they know that they're known. They're made in the image of God. God cares for them. They're giving everything in order for this. Now, they're also not just showing up giving everything and not giving the gospel. Okay? They're doing both. They give the gospel and they give themselves. They give themselves, they give the gospel. It's hand in hand. Do you and I look around at friends and family and try to meet spiritual needs as much as we try to meet physical or emotional needs? Questions like, hey, how you doing with the Bible? Some people get tripped up. Hey, I have a question about this. But they don't, they're not going to pipe up and ask the question. They're just going to be like, I don't really get it, so I'll just move on. Me, you can step in and say, hey, hey how you doing with this passage? How you doing with prayer? How's your prayer life? Hey, what's an area you want to grow in spiritually? What's something you want to give up in order to grow spiritually? How you doing with that weird mustache guy that showed up and talked to us for a few, few weeks ago? I don't like him either. We're not, we're not islands. We're a body. We need to know what each other are going through. It takes curiosity. Does God make you curious? Does God make you uh, inquire other people? Hey, how you doing? I want to know. I have a hunger to know. I have a hunger to invest. And if there's an area in which you can invest in somebody, you're going to go for it. But you can't know until you ask the questions and see where they're at. Discipleship, proper discipleship in a can, is a relationship with love and influence. It's not a peer relationship. It's not a peer-to-peer -peer thing. It's a teacher and a student. Discipleship. There's order. There's hierarchy. But here's the critical note. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. You can come here with all your theology and all your books and all your stuff, and all your knowledge, and all your well-spoken stuff, as Paul will say. But if you don't have love, you're sounding gong. You're nothing. Right? They don't care what you know until they know that you care. Discipleship is also about multiplication. It is the goal of our Christian life. Here in Genesis 1, uh, God makes man, verse 26, then verse 27 and 28, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish and over the birds and over the, every, every living thing that moves. We are meant to multiply. Multiplications in our fabric. If you're not discipling, you're not multiplying. You guys have seen the, the math, you know, me meeting with one guy plus one guy plus one guy plus one guy, that's me with four people, right? So five. 
But if I meet with one person, and when they're ready, when I think they're ready, and I say, I'm challenging you, I'm getting you ready to meet with one person, and then I'll pick another person, right there, that's four. And then we go to eight, and then we go to 16, as long as we keep this expectation of multiplication, of saying, when you're at a certain point, I am launching you, I am sending you, I am readying you to go and do likewise. That way you're not a repository of all this good stuff that just comes in and sits, but your dispenser. It comes in and it goes out. Coaching and mentoring are very important. Training is very important. But if we're not multiplying, if we're not making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, then we're not multiplying. Teaching gets deposited. Let's go dispense it. Let's go give it out. Let's be ready to give and bless others the way that God has blessed us. There's a quote here from a, a professor who passed away a few years ago. He said, his name is Howard Hendricks. He wrote, uh, there are only two things God is going to take off this planet. One is his word, the other is his people. Therefore, if you are building his word into his people, you can be confident that you're building a legacy that will last into eternity. If God's taking just his word and his people with him, and we're building his word into people, that's the joy, that's the treasure in heaven. Then you get to enjoy it with people. This has been a hard thing for me because coming into my gig with crew, you know, I thought evangelism was the, the, the hill I had to climb over, right? All right, how do, I, how, do I, how do I share the gospel? How do I engage them, everything like that? And someone had asked me when I first came on staff, you know, about my discipleship, you know, how I view it and stuff I go through. And I was like, I don't have time to think about that, man. I got to get the word out. I got to go share the gospel. I got to do evangelism, right? Which you guys have been talking about the last few weeks, right? I got to go do that, right? But discipleship is the investment. We do that. That conversation or that moment, right, leads to discipleship, which is an investment that doesn't really have an ending. I'm not saying I'm going to disciple you for a year and after that I'll see you. I don't know, right? You're going to say, I'm committed to you for however long it takes. But the goal is multiplication. The goal is getting you to a spot where you can go do this. Quick side note. If they don't want that, if you give them that proposition and they say, I don't want to be discipled, don't disciple. <laughs> don't disciple anyone that does not want to be discipled. The trick is, though, there's people out there who want it, and you've got to ask the questions. You've got to engage them. That's how you invest, by asking these questions and inviting them in. Say, hey, if you're willing, we're going to walk in this. Some people say, yeah, I've been looking for that. There's two objections that normally come up with this. One is not enough time. I don't have enough time to do this. The other one is I don't feel called to it. I'm glad you said you don't have enough time because I don't want you to add anything more to your schedule. Discipleship is about modeling, not about setting aside time. So for me, uh, wife, four kids, sometimes I don't have the margin to give for a one-on-one just set up time. So then it becomes, well, come on over. Let's go to the park. My kids play and we can talk. Let's go get some food. 
or come over and get some food with us and we'll make food together and it'll be crazy. But in the same time, the person you're leading, the person you're bringing along will see you in action. How does Brian deal with some of the stresses with four kids at home, right? Some of the things he's been teaching me, is he applying, right? Modeling prayer to people is pretty impactful. Modeling how you read the word or abide in the word is impactful. Modeling is a huge, huge component for discipleship. It's not just about, let me find an hour in my schedule to meet with somebody. That's very helpful, but you can always bring them along. Bring them into it. The other, the other objection I already said is, I don't feel called to it. Well, it's interesting that discipleship, discipling, is never mentioned as a spiritual gift in the scriptures. It's not mentioned as a, as a gift. It's always mentioned as a command. Go make disciples. So, I'm not called either. Just commanded. Go make disciples. The question behind this one is, I don't feel called. The question that you need to answer, if this is you, is the same that Jesus asked Peter in John 21. Do you love me? Do you love me to go feed my sheep? Do you love me to take care of my flock? Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. Do I love him? Am I willing to step into something that, yeah, it's not my favorite or not something I've done before? But do I love Jesus? What would this place look like if it was known for investing in other people? I'm from Baltimore. I'm one of the few of you people who stayed. I don't know about any of you guys. Some of you guys are supposed to be here and out. Thank you, Hopkins or University of Maryland, and now I'm going to go. Right? But I stayed. What would this place look like if it was known for investing in people? What would it take to do that? Baltimore's known for a lot of things. Some of it's not very good. What would it look like, though, if this place was saying, hey, the people here, they invest in other people. They care about them. They want to bring people along. They want to grow them up. What would it take to do that? What would it look like once it's done? What would this place look like once it's done? What would this church look like, it, look, look like once it's done? What would Patterson Park look like once it's done? What would your block look like if that was your goal? I want to know everyone's spiritual journey on my block, or my apartment floor, or my cubicle, or my Zoom chat room, if that's how you still work. I want to know these people. I'm going to get to know them. The beauty about this, everything I'm talking about today, the beauty why I got real excited for this assignment is that your church is already stepping into these things. This is not a new concept for Redemption City. Redemption City has been walking in discipleship. It's written on the hearts of Adam and Adam and David and the other leaderships here. They care about people. And they set up a thing called foundations to walk people through it, to grow people up. To give them a solid foundation that they can go and invest in other people. So the question for you guys sitting here in this congregation and watching online is not, how do I start this? The question is, will you jump into what the church is already doing? Will you invest? 
if you're not tracking with me, if you're kind of lost, prayerfully, I'm going to come get you. You might be wondering what this whole Christian life is all about. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're new to Jesus. I want you to hear this word. I want you to hear the word investment. The church is not here to count noses and put up a nice picture on their website or their Facebook page. The church is here to invest, grow you, flourish you, so that, yeah, if you do leave, you can go and do likewise. We want the church, the church, sorry, the church wants you to grow because it's a reflection of what God has done for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, God, the creator and sustainer of everybody and everything, so loved the world, the people. And who are these people? The creation that is made in his image, as we, as we saw in Genesis 1, it's made in his image, it's hardwired for community with him, it's hardwired to enjoy him, it's hardwired to reflect him, but it has rejected him. It has said, no, thank you. I don't want you input. I don't want to honor you. I want to honor me. I don't want to proclaim your name. I want to proclaim my name. I want to reflect me and not you. That is who God loves. Those hopeless, rebellious people. That is what the Bible calls sin. And God says, I have chosen to love them anyway because I created them. So, God so loved the world that he gave he invested in these hopeless rebels. He invests. Notice that the world hasn't changed when he invests. The world hasn't all started going to Bible study and then he invests. The world hasn't all shown up to a Sunday church service and then he invests. He invests while they were still rebelling and rejecting and said, no, thank you. He invests. How does he invest? By giving his son, Jesus God in the flesh. What's the good news about Jesus? The shame and guilt that comes from when we reject him and we hurt other people in doing it or we hurt ourselves, the shame and guilt that comes from that was taken on Jesus. It was laid on him. He took the penalty for you. Jesus was perfection personified. He did nothing wrong, but yet he was mocked, pummeled, abandoned, and shamed while hanging on a cross for something he never did. He took it for you. He took it for me. He showed us love this way. He showed us what sacrificial agape love is. He showed us what investing is. I'll take it on me for you to free you. By his stripes, we are healed. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. But it wasn't the end. Jesus wore the shame to the grave, and God honored that sacrifice. Jesus was handed over to die for our sins, and he was raised to life as the only way to make us right to God. In short, Jesus came to remake you and restore you. If you were broken and lost because of sin, you're not only broken, but you're lost, then Jesus came to remake you and restore you. It's a very beautiful story, but it's also a very true story. 
If there are any of you here that are thinking, is this, does this sound too good to be true? Come talk to your church leadership or myself afterwards, because we are all reclamation projects. We were all once this, and then God intersected our lives, remade us, is still remaking us, is still restoring us, still growing us into the men and women he wants us to be. Come talk to us. Come hear what God has done in our lives. It's real. It's tangible. It's not just a good theory or a good story. It has an impact. It has a change. I've been restored. Your leaders have been restored, made new. As I close here before we pray, I have two summary applications for you guys to take with you. We talked about life is with Jesus. Step one, abide. Abide. So the question is, do you spend more time each week looking at the images in your mirror than you do in the Word? Do you spend more time thinking about yourself than you do with saying, God, what do you want me to do today? You know, I got a lot of hair going on up here, man. Sometimes in the mirror, it takes me some time. Right? I got to figure this all out. Right? But am I getting in the Word? Am I abiding? Am I staying with Him? Am I connecting? Or am I focused on me and what I want to do? Second one. We talked about abiding, abiding, and now investing. Investing. This week, I want to challenge each and every one of you. This week, can you ask one person, think of one person, whether they're in this church or not, ask them, where are you? let me hear your spiritual journey. What's your spiritual background? And just listen to them. Hear where they are. Be a good listener. Ask a good question. One of the things I love about what I get to do on college campuses is I ask pretty basic questions about spiritual life. And these kids who are studying, gosh, stuff that I could never even figure out, right? They come down to me and they say, this, these are hard questions. And I'm like, yeah. These are harder than the questions you're going to have to answer up there on the hill with the, you know, with all your classrooms and your professors. You've got to answer these questions. Where who is God? Who is Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What is that stuff? These are questions that people got to ask. Do you guys have a heart to ask the questions? Do you guys have boldness and courage from God in you, enlivening you, to say, all right, I'll step in and ask that question. I'll step in and say, God, Guide this time. Guide my words. I'm just going to listen. I'm going to ask a question and listen. They might say, I got no spiritual background. I got no spiritual life. Then you at least know where they are. And you can go from there. Okay? But when you step into just asking people where they are, you might come across people who say, you know what? Man, I've been thinking about some of this stuff lately. I'm glad you asked that. It's weird that you asked that. You might come across some people who say, you know what? I actually got a question in my spiritual life. And you can step in and invest. But you won't know unless you ask. Thank you guys so much for this time. If you have any questions about this, I'll be available afterwards. I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you so much for this time. 
God, thank you so much for the men and women here who have taken time to say, I want to come and get to know God more. I want to come know him and be surrounded by men and women who also know him. Lord, I pray if there's questions on any of our hearts, you give people the courage to engage. You give people the courage to either step up and ask questions of leadership, or you give leadership and other people courage and strength to step into these situations and ask the people questions. Help us to find out where we are. Lord, would you please change this place, this neighborhood, this city, and make it a place where people invest in other people. Make it a people place where people care about other people to a degree where they say, I want to know you physically and emotionally and spiritually. God, enliven us through your spirit. God, make us more like your son who reflects you, who's perfection personified. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray for this week for men and women here online to be abiding. And I pray it brings you joy and glory that we are in your word and we're fed on your word. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, I pray we live that out this week. I pray we not only live that out in our time in the word, but then we take and invest that life into other people. God, guide us, strengthen us, embolden us, make us new. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for your spiritual fatherhood. Lord, help us to be men and women of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find other messages or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church Podcast.